Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris featured messages of healing and a poem read by Los Angeles poet Amanda Gorman, the youngest inaugural poet in U.S. history. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. Many young people, some who voted in their first presidential election last year, are looking for change, big change from the Biden administration. We get their thoughts and yours on what you want to see over the next four years. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. President Joe Biden, after being sworn in as the nation's 46th president, immediately began dismantling his predecessor's legacy with a slew of executive actions, including halting border wall construction, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, extending student loan relief, and more. For many young voters who supported Biden, it's a good start. But as reporter Nina Roll writes in her piece yesterday for YR Media, quote, Many of us want you to know we'll be holding your administration accountable on a number of issues. Why Our Media is a national network of young journalists and artists. And Nina Roll's piece is titled Dear Joe Biden. She joins me now. Welcome to Forum, Nina Roll. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Well, thanks so much for being here. And, and before we get into what the people you interviewed said they want Biden and Harris to focus on, I'd love to first get your reaction to the inauguration itself. What were you thinking or feeling while watching it? Um, I think my main feelings when watching the inauguration yesterday was mainly a sense of relief. I think even afterwards, after the kind of inauguration event ended, I think the biggest thing was I was there was a lot of relief that you know, the whole event remained peaceful, especially because of what happened, you know, on the Capitol um, and things like that. There was a little bit of worry that we weren't sure how it was going to play out in terms of violence and things like that. So there was that relief. Um, and then, of course, there was the relief of just hoping that with the new administration, the Biden and Harris administration, that it will be a new chapter. So, um mm. After the past four years, you know, there's obviously a lot of chaos that has happened. So I think there was definitely that sense of relief. Were there moments from Biden's inaugural address that jumped out at you? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
his speech specifically, there was a part in which he specifically mentioned and called out white supremacy, which I thought was very important um, because I think, uh, you know, never in a president's inaugural speech have, you know, a president specifically used that term, right? Used and called out white supremacy, which I think is so important because I think a lot of times there are politicians or just people in general who are afraid to say that, who are afraid to call out and specifically say white supremacy. But I think personally, you have to call it what it is. And it's true that there is this issue of white supremacy in this country. And I think it's really important that he calls that out mm -hmm. and says that, you know, we are going to try and confront it and um, deal with white supremacy head on. I think we have a clip actually of that. Let's hear it. A cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. Nina Roll, you spoke with, or at least your piece I saw included the voices of, of 17 to 24 year olds from across the country sharing what issues were top of mind for them. Was racial justice one of them? And, and what else did they tell you? Yes, definitely racial justice was a huge part of what um, a lot of the young people that I talked to was on their minds, right? So, you know, there's been so much racial injustice in this country for so long. So I think a lot of young people are really wanting to see um, some racial justice really come out of this new administration and really um, confront it head on. And I think tying in with that, a huge deal that a lot of young people are focused on is representation. Um, they're, you know, for so long in this country, um, a lot of the people at the top of government are older white men. And with Biden, you know, he's still that older white man figurehead. But, you know, we have Kamala Harris being the VP. And I think that's a really huge deal for a lot of people. Um, a lot of what I've heard from the young people that I've talked to, um, she represents them in their communities in a really big way. And so I think, you know, that shows a little bit of a sense of, um, trust in her that maybe she can push Biden to really take care of black and brown communities. Um, and it shows that there's a little bit of a shift going on. Um, so that's definitely a huge part of what a lot of young people that I talked to, um, what they said. Um, in addition to that, climate change was a really huge issue. We had a young person in Colorado who spent a lot of time uh, working in Alaska and he's really worried about the changes with energy companies and is really looking forward to some more green jobs and renewable energy and um, holding those big companies accountable um, for you know greenhouse gas emissions, things like that. Um, and then of course, with the pandemic, um, healthcare is a really, really huge issue um, in general, but also specifically we had a young person in Texas who's specifically focused on chronic illness and just the problems of our healthcare system, you know, getting worse under COVID. 
um, because those people with chronic illnesses, they are the most vulnerable, right? And they just really want to make sure that the Biden and Harris administration will protect them and will give them those resources that they need for their health, you know, because they're just trying to survive, right? Um, yeah. And then, of course, immigration. Immigration is a really huge deal. We have a young person at the border who really wants to see a new policy holding, you know, ICE and other border control agencies accountable and specifically just having some more checks and balances um, with, yeah, all those agencies on the border. And again, Nina Roll's piece is Dear Joe Biden on YR Media, a national network of young journalists and artists. And we're hearing what young people thought of the inauguration and what their hopes are for the next four years. And you can join the conversation by sharing your hopes as well and what your reaction was to yesterday's inauguration. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. You, you say in your piece that young people are prepared to hold Joe Biden accountable. How? How do they plan to do that? What are some of the things that you were hearing around the role and influence that young people can have in this administration? I think, you know, when young people say we want to hold um, the Biden administration accountable, um, I think it kind of plays into that part of, you know, we're hopeful, right, that, that this administration will be a new chapter, but we're still cautious, we're still apprehensive, right? Um, we're hoping it'll be a new chapter, but we're not sure because, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not acting like Biden and this administration is like the savior and everything's okay now, right? Um, that's not really how it works. And so it's more of, you know, just because now that we have, you know, Donald Trump out of the office, which is what, you know, a lot of people were concerned about, um, we still have work to do. You know, there's still work to do other than getting just Biden um, in office for a lot of people who campaign for him. Hmm. There's still work to do. Um, and so I think that's what a lot of people are um, focused on. You know, young voters are often seen as this unreliable and unpredictable voting group. And do you think that's fair? Do you think that that's changed? Like, are you hearing a level of engagement that that is new to you? I definitely, I definitely do. I think, I mean, personally, this was my first time being able to vote in the election, which was super exciting and, and especially such an important election. Um, and I think, I think young voters are very important to elections and should be taken seriously because, you know, young voters, young people were the future of this country, right? And, you know, we deserve to have that voice, you know, because, our future is at stake. And so I think it's very important to take young voters um, seriously. Um, and I think, you know, even with the election this year, in, in terms of the polls, voters, you know, young voters, the amount um, of times that they went to the polls, it definitely went up from the last election, you know, because I think people are really waking up and being like, I need to have my voice heard, right, in our country and in um, politics. So um, I think, you know, young voters definitely need to be listened to and need to be taken seriously. Yes. And what do you think people need to do to engage more young people? Um, I think to engage young people, 
I think like just using, going to those platforms where young people are most present on. So obviously like things like social media, things like that. I think that's super important to gauge these like conversations, right? With young people. Um, we've seen different um, politicians use social media to kind of start these conversations like AOC has done um, Twitch streams and things like that to kind of uh, gear towards, you know, young people and where where are they at the most, right? So social media. So I think things like that um, and kind of relating to young people, I think is super important and um, up with the times, you know? Well, Nina Roll, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And again, Nina Roll is a reporter for YR Media, a national network of young journalists and artists. You can find her latest piece and other pieces by young journalists. Her piece is titled Dear Joe Biden. And we're inviting you, our listeners, to join the conversation. We're hearing what young people thought of the inauguration and talking about their hopes for the next four years. And we also want to get your reactions to yesterday's inauguration of Biden's first executive orders. What are your hopes for the next four years as well? Give us a call, 866 733 6786. Again, you can call us at 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Many young people who voted, some in their first presidential election last year, want change. Change from the Biden administration on things like tackling climate change, immigration reform, and of course the pandemic. We're getting their thoughts and yours this hour on Forum. You can join us at 866-733-6786, email us at forum at kqed.org, or you can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And joining me now is Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, a college senior and student body president at Cal State University, Fresno. Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's definitely an honor. Also with us is Isha Clark, an organizer and co-founder of Youth Versus Apocalypse, a climate justice organization. Welcome to Forum, Isha Clark. Thank you for having me. And did I hear right that, that yesterday was your 18th birthday? 
It was actually Saturday. Oh, Saturday. Well, happy <laughs> birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Also with us is Michael Goffman, former vice chair of the California Federation of College Republicans and former student body president at UC Davis. He graduated last summer. Michael Goffman, thanks so much for joining us as well. Thank you for having me. Well, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, I'll start with you. First of all, I want to know, we were just talking with Nina Roll about the issues that matter most to young voters. What issues mattered most to you? What What is it that you would really like to see the Biden-Harris administration focus on first? Yeah, no, thank you so much for that question. I completely agree with Nina when she said that racial justice was something that we definitely cared about in this election. Additionally, I think something that really mattered to me was immigration. And I have not seen an administration being able to try to address this issue systemically other than the Biden administration with the current conversation he is having with DACA and um, other pathways to citizenship. And so that mattered to me the most alongside, of course, climate change. I think that is something that young people are heavily driven with um, to address and seeing that Biden really cares and wants to listen to young people and to listen to voters. I think that climate change is something I look forward to seeing addressed. Um, not just by rejoining the Climate Paris Accord, but by other means that he has talked about before. Mm. Um, and overall, I definitely think uniting the country is what I look forward to as well. Isha Clark, as the organizer and co-founder of, as an organizer and the co-founder of Youth versus the Apocalypse, climate change, of course, is a real central issue for you. We know that immediately uh, Biden imposed a moratorium on oil and natural gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, and as Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga mentioned, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. Is this something that will be central, what you'll be watching closely in terms of the way the Biden and Harris administration operate, and would you like to see more as Elizabeth would? Yeah. So <laughs> the thing for me is that climate change is not just about climate because we are in this state of climate crisis because our country and our world frankly was built on top of a foundation of white supremacy and colonialism and patriarchy and economic exploitation that's why we have climate change and so fighting climate change climate policy has to be about completely reimagining the way that we exist on this planet and in our country. It's about the way that we treat people. It's about, you know, reparations for those who have been harmed by the systems that have created climate change. And so my hope for this administration and what I will continue to push them on every mm -hmm. day of their um, administration is that we need climate policy in criminal justice reform, in immigration policy, in our plans for health care, in all of these, you know, big things that we're talking about, all of it is climate related. And with that being said, like, if we don't have racial justice in this country, then we will not survive because we will continue to have climate crisis. If we don't change the way that we treat people who are seeking asylum in this country, none of us will survive. If we don't make sure that people have access to the health care that they need, we will not survive and et cetera. I could go on and on. So 
that is the way that I'm looking at this. And that's my hope for this administration. Yes. And I think what I'm hearing and what you're saying, Isha Clark, is is not just the fact that it's broad and expansive and connected to everything, but that it takes it'll take a lot more than this administration, that it will take all of us. Exactly. And, you know, on that point, I think what's really important for me to recognize and for others as well is like this win was a win for the people. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are in office right now because of the blood, sweat, and tears of the people on the ground who were organizing, who got out of bed at you know six o'clock in the morning and, and made calls and made pamphlets and did all of the things that we did to win that election that was barely <laughs> free and fair because of all the voter suppression and gerrymandering in the electoral college. And on top of that, you know, we won the Senate. So we cannot forget that elected officials are in their positions to serve the people and we are the ones who put them in there. So we have to continue to push for what we need regardless of who's in office. Michael Goffman, one of the things that I heard in terms of why you're excited for a Biden presidency is because you'd like to just see some stable governance. What do you mean by that? What I meant when I said that more than anything is that a return to what I would call traditional government leaders will mean that most of the most important government roles and functions are going to be filled out properly again. I have very serious disagreements with Biden's policy agenda, but I am excited that our departments and agencies of the government are going to be run responsibly and filled properly uh, is really what I was touching upon with that particular point. What did the Trump presidency teach you about democracy or, or what were your thoughts and feelings going through it? Because you're using the word sort of filled out properly. It sounds like you were feeling like the people who were in charge may not have been the right folks under in the Trump administration in some cases. I think that last caveat is very important in some cases. Um, I would say that in, in turn, sorry, do you mind repeating? The, yeah, just what his what his presidency was like for you, Trump's presidency as a member of the Republican Party, right? And what it taught you about our democracy. So in terms of a, of a member of, of, as, of a, as a member of the Republican Party, living through the past four years under the Trump presidency has been a very difficult uh, it's been a very difficult time because it's been a matter of trying to balance principles and my traditional faith in democracy in this country, in its leadership, and in my own conservative principles, grappling with the fact that I had incredibly serious political policy and personal disagreements and with the way that the president was running this country. Um, I had been in my time in the California Federation of College Republicans and as student body president at UC Davis, outspoken in my opposition with many of, of his policies. Mm. Um, what it has taught me about our democracy in particular is that democracy is very fragile. We saw this just in this past few weeks, watching the events unfold at the Capitol and watching so many of these baseless conspiracy theories float through 
previously well-respected uh, news media around this country and through online forums with no respect for fact that have convinced a significant uh, portion of our population that this election was fraudulent and that the results of it are invalid. And I, I think it says a lot that the information that we are receiving is important. Conspiracy theories should not be ignored and should be tackled head on. And that an educated population must exist for our democracy to continue to flourish. You know, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, Michael Goffman brings up the insurrection. What what were you feeling when the inauguration took place? Were you also concerned about violence as so many people were or that it would not go peacefully or uneventfully as many hoped to some degree? What yeah, was it like for you? To um, watch I do that? recall yeah. being a little bit afraid um, about just things that people were saying that they were going to attack and uh, riot during the inauguration. I was honestly afraid, but um, once I was able to just, you know, be hopeful um, about that we're going to have another administration that actually cares for its people, I just was overwhelmed with with hope um, that we are moving forward and that we are going to have. A united America. And so that's something that I always just wanted to see in an administration. And I think now more than ever, we need to come together and um, just not be, I guess, angry and um, attacking one another for our beliefs. I'm a big advocate for that. And so seeing Joe Biden go on stage and advocate for United America and advocate for um, healing in our country, I think that's so important with our democracy. As Michael said, it's it's fragile and we should not be um, tailoring conspiracy theories. Um, and so I think that I was just overwhelmed with hope and um, relief and just a lot of, um, I guess, excitement to see an, a better leadership in office. And so that's what I felt, um, aside feeling a little bit scared when we heard all these people trying to attack our democracy in the Capitol. Well, let me go to caller Eric in Guerneville. Hi, Eric. Join us. Hi. <clears throat> Hi. How are you this morning? Great. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I was just wanting to comment on a real nice touch uh, yesterday to uh, the programming at night, the um, Celebrating America, <clears throat> which was the uh, young uh, teenager from New Hampshire, uh, Braden Harrington, who was at the DNC, uh, the kid with a stutter who Biden had inspired and helped. And uh, he read uh, the uh, portions from JFK's uh, inaugural speech, the Ask Not What You Can Give or What Your Country Can Give. Uh, and it was just really impressive and, and real inspiring. He, he did a perfect job, knocked it out of the park, but, uh, not one stumble. And it was, again, another inspiration of the humanity of this new administration. Eric, thanks for sharing. Isha Clark, was there a moment that jumped out at you from yesterday's inauguration? Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I did not watch the inauguration um, because, <laughs> frankly, I didn't realize that it was so early. And also, you know, just to be super honest with y'all, like, for me, the inauguration didn't bring any feeling of, you know, relief, really. I felt, I really, really wanted it to, but 
I think I felt all my relief when the election results were confirmed. And mm. then for me, it was straight to work, you know, because for me, you know, both parties are are guilty of perpetuating white supremacy and of harming black and brown people and poor people and indigenous people. And like, I, for me, this is so much about the people, like I said before, and I really think that we, to me, and I think to many people, Donald Trump represents a large piece of what America has meant for so many people, <laughs> for my people, like as a young black girl, my ancestors were enslaved in this country and witnessed a genocide of native people whose land this is. And our country was built on top of that. Our country was built on top of violence and white supremacy. So frankly, it's not surprising to me that that's what we're seeing right now, because honestly, that's who we are, a large part of who we are. And yes, there are many beautiful pieces of this country, but as a young black girl who is surrounded by other people who have experienced the violence of this country, I still feel fear because I know that Trumpism is still alive and well, and the ideology of white supremacy and the anger and the, the feeling that violence is the way to achieve supremacy is still here, regardless of who is in the White House. And so we have to remember that and we have to know that the work in the Trump administration is still the work of now because it's the work of dismantling not only the structural pieces of white supremacy and colonialism and all of that that are, exist in our country, but also the interpersonal experience and, and way that it thrives in our country. So yeah. Well, I think there are echoes of what you're saying in this comment from Beth, who writes, a lot of talk about what some expect from the Biden-Harris administration, yet little talk about what is expected of us, the citizens of this country. Racial justice means working with local and state officials to get fair justice reform. Climate change means changing how we live. Dealing with a pandemic means caring about others, not just our so-called right to do as we please. Talk is cheap. Sean writes, and this is a question from Michael. Do you believe ex-President Trump will continue to exert a powerful influence on the Republican Party? And if not, why not? Do I personally believe that he will continue? It depends on how you define continue. I think that in the ultra short term, in the coming months, and maybe even in the coming couple of years, we will see a the influence of the Trump wing of my party continue to pressure officials and pressure legislators who disagree with its policy agenda. But I also think that had you asked me this question a month ago, my answer would have been a very resounding and strong yes. But I think that Trump's actions and inactions over the past few weeks have to some degree discredited uh, much of his movement. It has hurt his public image, both nationally and within my party. And speaking with many uh, of my political mentors about the state of my party, 
what I, the, the general state of affairs that I came across with is that this is temporary. I still believe in the same principled values that I believed in before Trump was on the scene. And I think that most of this party, despite how far it may or may not have strayed, will eventually come back to these principles. Um, th this party has changed a lot in the past four years, but I think that this was more than anything a cult of personality. And once this personality, Trump, is not in office, his, um, his influence is going to wane very quickly. I'm curious, and we just have about a minute before the break here, but what you think about the call from some Republicans that Republicans have the responsibility to to restore public trust and the integrity of our elections because they called them into question in the first place, that while there will be a lot of attention paid to Joe Biden's ability to bring unity, for example, and even criticism if he is not able to do it, that you know, it'll actually be a responsibility of, of Republicans to also bring about that level of unity. So in just under a minute, uh, I think the responsibility falls on all of us. I know that myself and many other Republicans that are willing to work across the aisle and are trying to fight for a united and strong and prosperous America are excited and ready to work with and hold Joe Biden accountable. At the same time, I agree with the fact that the GOP has the responsibility to restore trust in our elections, especially as it concerns many on the right. Uh, a lot of senators recognize this uh, when they voted to certify the Electoral College, that this game of did he win, didn't he win, was, may have been good for fundraising, but it was not good for our country. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters and conditions of man. That was 22-year-old Amanda Gorman reading a part of her Inauguration Day poem, The Hill We Climb. California's Gorman made history as the youngest poet to read at a presidential inauguration. And we're hearing 
what young people thought of the inauguration and talking about their hopes for the next four years. I'm joined by Michael Goffman, former vice chair of the California Federation of College Republicans and former student body president at UC Davis. He graduated last year. Also, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga is with us, a college senior and student body president at Cal State University, Fresno. And Isha Clark is with us, an organizer and co-founder at Youth Versus Apocalypse, a climate change organization. You, our listeners, are with us talking about your hopes for the next four years, your reaction to the inauguration and what you'd like to see from a Biden-Harris administration. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. The email address, forum at kqed.org. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And let me go to caller Sean in Berkeley. Hi, Sean. Hey, how are you? I'm well. So I I, I just wanted to call, and I'm so excited to see our young people getting involved in politics. I am 46 and unfortunately was part of a generation where a great deal of apathy took place among uh, people who leaned uh, left. And uh, we got a Bush uh, election out of it, I think, uh, or, you know, something of that nature. But I had a sobering thought the other day. I'm 46, and I kind of thought by this point in my life, my generation would be leading things in Washington and shaping policy. And we're electing people who are in their mid to late 70s, and and, and the baby boomers are not letting go of their uh, positions of power. They're not stepping down as CEOs of corporations. They're going to be dragged out in body bags. That's how badly they, they want this. And, and they, they've done a real bang-up job. Uh, thank you very much. So, I, But I hope the kids keep voting and they've got a good platform. They respect uh, issues that, 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 that shouldn't be bipartisanship like climate control. Mm. And with that, I'll bid you adieu. Uh, Sean, thanks. Elizabeth Rogers, and you guys, I'd be curious to get your reaction to what Sean was saying. Um, I, I understand that you're interested potentially in a career in public service. I mean, do you feel like uh, th- there should be more people, say, of Sean's age, he's 46 or younger, in in federal government? I, I do. I think that we would love to see more young people. Um, 46 is pretty young still, so I would think that we all could just um, work together and uh, understand that generation from generation things change, but we're still able to work alongside each other despite our age gap. I know that traditionally there's a lot of older white folk in these spaces, and that's what I believe needs to be addressed. And I think that this past election cycle, we were able to see that change by having more people of color, more women in these positions. That's what we need to see and more young people. I have friends who are now elected officials and I think that's something that I admire. And I think that despite our age gaps, we're able to work together and that's what I look forward to in public service. Well, Kelly asks, for the person who did not watch the inauguration and spoke about the many years of slavery, white supremacy and genocide, do you believe Vice President Harris can make a difference in the lives of black and brown people in this administration? Isha Clark, that would be to you. That is a great question. Thank you for asking that. You know, I do. And I think that it does matter having representation you know going back to what elizabeth said like we need our elected officials to reflect the diversity of this country and so yeah it is hella powerful to see the first you know 
black female vice president in the United States history, that means something. And I don't mean to um, belittle that. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. I mean, she also is the most powerful woman ever, uh, I believe, in U.S. history as a result of this, right? As a result of being number two, being the vice president of the United States. And and yes, I. but there is a lot to be seen. And Isha Clark, you know, this other listener writes, given the small, this is Ray, Ray writes, given the small Democratic majorities in both the House and Senate, how will the young panelists deal with this and respond to the limitations of the Biden administration? And and the reason I want to go back to you on this, uh, Isha Clark, is because, you know, in so many ways, Biden's message, especially yesterday, was about, you know, we have to we have to work together, right? We have to listen to each other. We shouldn't harden our hearts. We have to show more tolerance and humility. We have to be willing to stand in the other person's shoes. How do you feel about that? You know, I actually do agree with that. And, you know, during the election season, before the election, I did some deep canvassing, which was really powerful. And it's basically exactly that, you know, calling people who are usually undecided voters and having really honest conversations about what is happening for us and what is important to us in this election. And I think that that we cannot lose our humanity <laughs> because we are humans. We are living beings on this planet and we need to be able to talk to each other and have compassion. I 100% agree with that. But what I will say on that is that we also cannot tolerate hatred. We cannot tolerate white supremacy and we have to call out the real history of this country because it is why we are experiencing everything that we are right now. Michael Goffman, I was struck by, you were the student body president at UC Davis and um, and you had said that, you know, that the majority of your friends are liberal. And I'm wondering, you know, as someone who played a leadership role at your university, as someone who had to find common ground with people of different political beliefs, like what did, what, what do you think needs to happen? How did you do that in terms of trying to forge um, and work together to try to make things better? I think that something, an art that's been forgotten in the federal government is the belief in compromising. Everyone views every single political issue as if this doesn't pass or if this doesn't pass my way, that's it. That's the end. It's you can't compromise on it. It's going to be the end of the world if it fails. And I think that, especially on a college campus where there are a lot of deep interpersonal relationships between everybody, it's possible to regain that art of compromise, working with consensus. And in my role in particular, uh, in my student government, I was able to work with and run with many people coming from different parts of uh, all sorts of different political ideologies and thought and that ability of all of us having personal relationships, working together and just recognizing that we're all people just trying to survive in this world. We all want the same thing. We all want what's good for everybody. And working from that perspective and from that understanding to develop solutions instead of grandstanding, instead of taking extremist positions but working together and working through consensus. And I think that in our government, 
over the past couple of decades, we've seen the ability to do that completely lost. Once people in our government learn to compromise again, and not just on omnibus budget bills, but on everything else, a lot of the hatred will disappear. And again, I worked on my campus to unify people from different political persuasions, even though I openly came from you know, a particular uh, political belief. And I hope that Joe Biden, even though he's coming from a particular political belief, will work with everybody to be a president like he claimed he would do for all Americans. Let me go to caller Sam in San Rafael. Hi, Sam. Hi, how's it going? Great. Yeah, so I had a question for Mr. Goffman. So I recently graduated from college, and something I noticed a lot was student activists railing against capitalism while taking their own consumerism for granted. You know, you could leave your own orange and gray Nikes at your friend's house and not even realize it. So how can you help idealistic students reconcile their beliefs with their behavior? Not to call them out for being hypocrites, but to help them see other points of view, whether that's on economics or on other issues. Hmm. A bit of an extension of what we were just talking about, Michael Goffman, but, but to Sam's point. I, I think that especially with an issue like that is that there's a lot of emphasis that's being put on labels. Um, both socialism, capitalism, communism, all by people who don't know what any of those words really mean or how they really play out. But for your particular example, I think we just need more education. People hear the word capitalism and they recoil because they only really see, especially at our age, coming, you know, starting our careers, we don't really understand the positive effects of it. And we really just see the negative effects of it. Um, and I think that if we put more emphasis into teaching people why the market economic system is good, we would be able to sort of defeat a lot of this hypocrisy. And I'm not sure if this entirely answers your question, but I think it's going to be very important for us to stop being so, um, I think, self-righteous on a lot of the issues that we care about. And again, it's really about compassion and understanding and working with other people. Elizabeth Rocha Zunike, what are your hopes for our nation's politics? I mean, we're coming to it at your you young people are coming to it at a very tough time. And, you know, as has been brought up, we just witnessed this violent insurrection, which was provoked by the sitting president, as, as Mitch McConnell described, and, and, and these deep divisions. What do you want to see from your nation's leaders? Well, thank you so much for that question. Um, this was something that I had a very hard time trying to summarize in my head, but you know, I think that we need to address issues seriously. I'm tired of some issues being compromised for. There's some things that we cannot compromise. There's things that we need to address, such as white supremacy. Joe Biden is the first president in our country to address that in an inauguration speech. That's something that we need to tackle on much more seriously. It's not something we can compromise, it's wrong. And our citizens of our country should not be facing that. And so I think that I would like to see these issues that we care about as voters, as members of this country, we need to see those issues tackled and addressed instead of being compromised for, instead of having to reach alongside like other folk along the aisle, like we need to 
address these issues head on. And I think that this administration has people in the cabinets, people that will definitely tackle these issues and will work alongside um, young people, alongside people who voted for them, people who support their platform. I think we need to have that um, much, like take that much more seriously because we are honestly just tired of having to compromise for issues that we deeply care about. And um, as a student body president myself, it is difficult when you are in a campus that may be more conservative, more democratic than which whatever um, political side, but not having to compromise is something that has been difficult for me, but there's some issues that you have to compromise, but some that you cannot. And so I look forward to seeing this administration tackle on these issues head on and not brush things off lightly because we have to amend our country. We have to unite our country. I think that takes a lot of work. And so I look forward to seeing that from this administration and uh, I'm hopeful. I think that we have the right people in these positions. And so I look forward to seeing those conversations and to be a part of the democratic process that we have here in America. Again, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, a college senior student body president at Cal State University, Fresno, Isha Clark, an organizer and co-founder of Youth vs. Apocalypse, and Michael Goffman, uh, former vice chair of the California Federation of College Republicans. He graduated from UC Davis last year, where he was also student body president there. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. One of the things that uh, Biden also brought up, I mean, Elizabeth Rogers and and others have mentioned that he mentioned white supremacy. The other thing that I was struck by was what he said about the importance of facts and truth. Let's listen to that. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders, leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Michael Goffman, I'd, I'd like to get your reaction to that, because I know that you are concerned about, you know, the faction of the party that is QAnon believers and, and so forth, other people who are who are more um, who, who are willing to basically entertain conspiracy theories more. I, again, I think that at its core, I actually think that Shepard Smith came out the other day and he made a very good point about uh, the importance of facts, especially in media and in news sources, which was that we can have our opinions and we can come to our own conclusions and we need to have a robust debate about the conclusions that we come to and about our opinions based off of the facts and information presented to us. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to agree on the facts. And there is generally one objective truth. There may be many perspectives, but we need to respect the fact that there are facts that may be upsetting, that may be counter to what we want or to what we believe but we need to respect the importance of them. Um, do you, yes, but do you think it, it'll be dangerous for your party? I mean, are you concerned about it in terms of no. for the Republican Party? No, I think that this will be good for the Republican Party. Uh, recommitment to truth. And no, I'm sorry, what I mean is this. Do you think that they pose a danger, the people who are not willing to believe, for example? I mean, I we've see. seen stats that like a third, 70 percent of Republicans and a third of Americans still believe that Joe Biden did not win the election. 
it's dangerous. Um, and to be completely honest, I don't know how to reconcile that particular fact with my beliefs. But I do know that over time, that number is going to drop. I think even seeing many of the Republicans who voted against the uh, Electoral College certification appearing at his inauguration is a sign that even the people that were uh, the people that had their own different facts uh, prior to the events of last Wednesday are starting to come around and are starting to respect the process and the truth. Isha Clark, leave us with your final thoughts on how to hold the administration accountable and ourselves to the goals that you want to achieve. You know, I really do think that this emphasis on truth is really important. And I think that if we let truth and compassion and equity guide us, then we can't go wrong. Um, and I really agree with what Elizabeth said about how there are just certain things that cannot be compromised. Human life is not something that you compromise on. You know, white supremacy is not something that you compromise on. The the destruction of our planet is something that you don't compromise on. But I do think it is important to remain uh, compassionate and with with humanity. Um, so, yes, that's my message. Isha Clark of Youth versus Apocalypse. Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, also with us from Cal State University, Fresno, and Michael Goffman, former vice chair of the California Federation of College Republicans. Thanks to all of you, and thanks to Ariana Prail for producing this segment. Thank you, listeners, for listening. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.